and again it connects to that whole idea of a society that is beginning to think that is beginning to assess its own kind of morality and behavior and if we really want to improve it's easy to sit and critique you know something which is an amorphous vague mass like the government or the world or institutions what do we actually mean by that and every time i critique an institution or a person in government i try to think about how are my actions actually contributing to the problem hi folks i'm sadia tarik and you're listening to dhani the podcast on this show i speak to medical practitioners poets authors mindful experts therapists artists corporate world influencers fashion designers and humanists from all over the world where they share their journey of well-being personal growth learnings and struggles and knowledge seeking my wonderful guest today is uh, amine sheikh farooqi who is a management consultant professional and gender specialist with 14 years of experience in economic development poverty reduction environment and health initiatives there's a lot of stuff that amine unpacked today in this podcast um and i would like to share some highlights with you which were about the power of intention the power of understanding the difference between culture and religion the current situation of minorities and inclusivity of women in pakistan amine has also recently authored a book which is called the fearless which is about 50 fearless women of pakistan give this podcast a listen and if you like it please let us know and share amongst your family and friends thank you amine thank you so much for being on dhani thank you so much for having me sadia amine i don't know where to begin because there are so many feathers in your cap you um are an entrepreneur you're a consultant you have um you run an ngo and you've just very recently authored a book called fearless yes and, um licks plate <laughs> and lots and lots of work um in the sector for women so let me start with my first question uh about the book uh the mm-hmm. way you've chronicled 50 famous women of uh, pakistan well known some well known some not well known to the public so my first question is that what is the concurrent theme what is it amongst all those 50 women that you would pick out one thing two three that's been that's in them okay so which made them I mean, what they are it's a hard one to pick because i think what uh, i tried to do in the book is look at a cross section of women so women across time uh women from history um even women from legend to be honest we start with women from legend um because myths and stories form a huge part of how we perceive ourselves and perceives other people in society but equally you know we're looking at the cross section of achievements by women 
in sectors and at different times and ages. So it's hard to think of one quality because how women perceive themselves and how they're perceived in society has changed. But if I had to pick one adjective, I would just say determination because most of these women had to fight, fight against some seriously, um, you know, tough odds. Uh, many of them at the personal level, definitely at the societal level. They were trying to change things which people didn't want changed. And they were trying to fight against normative behavior that we take for granted and that we almost worship as part of our culture. So when somebody goes against a norm, it's, all, it's a very hard thing to do. And it's a sheer perseverance that, that cuts it through, really. Ab- absolutely. And, you know, and many of them got little to no encouragement. As a matter of fact, they were actively vilified for the work they were doing. So they had to not only put up with often their own families and loved ones telling them that this was a bad idea, either because they feared for their safety or because they just rejected the idea that these women were bringing on. And I think a repetitive theme in the stories is, you know, my father didn't want me to do this. I was told not to do this. I was told this was a bad idea. So you hear that again and again. So you really have to have a very strong spirit to kind of persevere through all of that. Each woman in her own space, in her own right, is really cutting through with that sheer determination. Whether she's a mother, whether she's a social worker, whether she's a head of the company, she's an entrepreneur, it is just coming from pure grit. I think you're right. And I think that's how women navigate through life. We're all constantly beset by hurdles and obstacles and people telling us that we we are not enough in one way or the other, whether it's mm-hmm. that we're not good mothers or not good wives or not good sisters. There's always something lacking so you can do really well in your career Mm -hmm. yeah so you can do really well in your career and you might be very proud of your academic or professional achievements but then somebody will always take you down a notch by saying oh you never you never took care of your aging mother you know there's always a role that you haven't done well in why do you think is this a cultural thing is this a religious thing whereby there's a lack and and even if there isn't there is a bias a negative bias more towards women or women because even if she's successful, she's sort of, uh, it's at the expense of something. You know, there's a neglect of certain thing whereby that's why you've kind of succeeded. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of the stories that the book tells are very much rooted with what women faced in our specific context, in the Pakistani context. So very much rooted in our culture and our ideas about religion and practice. But I would say that the issue is definitely a global one because when you see mm. this whole narrative of the superwoman, right? The woman who does everything. So she takes care mm. of the house, she takes care of the children if she's married. And if she's not married, then why is she not married? You know, I mean, this yeah. you can never satisfy. And I have to admit to being just as impacted as everybody else. It's one thing to realize it at an intellectual level, to be aware that this is what I'm doing to myself, or these are the standards that are being forced on me. And they're almost inhuman because, you know, we all talk about the triple workload of the average woman, which is domestic, reproductive, and then productive, which is some kind of career or professional or income building opportunity. Um, And I think if there's one thing that the recent crisis has definitely brought to the fore is that a lot of women who used to work outside the home. So you're hearing this again from across the globe. It's not just from Pakistan or South Asia, 
where women leaving the house was so important for their mental well-being because quite often they were escaping abuse and often this was the only way they could get away from all the child rearing all the domestic care responsibilities so now women who are working from home are feeling the pressure and i think you find women's groups across the globe talking about this and talking about how this is one of the costs the mental health costs of the pandemic for women again as i said at an intellectual level it's so easy for us to talk about it but even in our own lives or the lives of very close friends and family you will see this pattern repeated and it's a hard mm-hmm. one to break it's a hard one to break so what are some of the tools that we can use to break it so as i said i think a little bit earlier i was talking about stories right so i think for me this book was just at the beginning or one little thing that i could do to be part of a long and hopefully um in-depth conversation about how we can change how women are perceived and women and girl are perceived mm-hmm. in pakistan and how mm-hmm. it might create space for them to create their own definitions of power happiness success you know beauty all of it in a society yeah. that actively has discouraged them from forming their own narratives and their own ideas mm-hmm. Mm. And in some ways you know this attention on feminism in media and politics right now um and in some ways even the corporate capture of feminism does allow for this responsibility on those of us who are very serious about the issue to push these conversations through in whichever way we can Of course of course so the various um consultancy projects that you're doing or the various avenues that you're involved in Uh, how do you ensure inclusivity gosh that's a um there's something i'll have to think about so i think one of the things i sincerely believe and i think you know we as practicing muslims i we believe this that you know niyat that intention the first mm-hmm. one is that you have to have the intention to do the work whether you right. succeed or not is secondary because and if you think about it it makes perfect sense because if you have the intention only then will you make it part of your overt objectives or your outputs or your KPIs however you are measuring success so if you link the success of your work with these important kind of um you know what kind of barriers are we you know making it easier for women to cross if that's what's important to you how are we how is our work helping change these limited narratives that have been written for women and girls by wider society or culture or you know more and more so you see the role of media in all of this how does my work impact this and i think sometimes it's important just to start there because otherwise yeah. the body of work is so huge that it can be overwhelming so you just have to start mm-hmm. with intention i think mm-hmm. Yeah so the groundwork really is as you said it's the intention that's the the main pillar. Yeah start with that and then see how you can build it in into the everyday and your work and your life and the way you live right i mean i think we all make choices and simple ones every day whether those are what we buy how we consume how we eat how we um you know train our children all of those are choices that we can and do make but we don't think about the political or economic implications of our choices and if we did we would all realize that we are much more empowered than we realize at the outset mm. 
So I, I'm just wondering, you know, I was just uh, in, in Karachi in, in December and I saw a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a few lady um, ladies at the coffee machines as baristas, as waitresses, as managers. So on an urban level, there is a certain inclusivity for sure. And then obviously ladies um, at counters in the supermarkets talking about beauty, selling beauty products. And of course, we know what how it is in, in the corporate culture as well, where they try and have some sort of a 50-50 um, yes. gender representation. That's the urban city. Yeah. Would you know what kind of work is happening uh, on the rural front? Or so I feel like, you know, the urban-rural divide in Pakistan, it's really interesting because I've been working in the rural sector now for over a decade. So mm-hmm. it's fascinating because you cannot say one thing about it, right? So part of me wants yeah. to tell you that actually the urban-rural divide in Pakistan is breaking down. We're becoming a very urbanized population very quickly. Uh, that concept that we have of the idyllic village no longer exists. Part of me wants to tell you that. But the other part of me is equally forced to say that, yes, while that's true for certain parts of Pakistan, there are many, many, many villages who still exist in very medieval forms. Um, mm. Their understanding of life um, is so different from ours that it's almost like a subculture. It's fascinating, you know, and you see these kind of... Um, this kind of almost, uh, I would say, obsession that's now developing within a, a small population of urban youth of, you know, this concept of return, this concept of resilience, this concept of the past being the best. So they want to return to these kind of um, almost original practices, right? And they, they look up to these people thinking that these simple lives that they lead they look up, look at those lives with envy. And yet when you talk to the people who are leading their, those lives, those lives are very, very hard. And they are equally right. enamored by the progress and the luxuries that they see in the urban sector. So I think Pakistan sure. is a really interesting kind of country right now where we're existing in different centuries at the same time. It's mm. fascinating. Mm. And therefore, much like everything else, the perceptions of wom- women too will change quite drastically depending on where you are in the country. Um, and who you are speaking to. Um, In some ways, as you said, like, you know, in the urban centers, uh, I would say, and I'm going to sound a little bit cynical here, but I think just the cost of living has forced people to realize that women can serve as economic contributors to the household. And therefore, many more families are allowing their girls to be educated and to get the sorts of jobs that you're talking about, because these are finally there are safe avenues for them to earn what is seen as a decent living. Mm. In the rural areas, the opportunities are so much less. It's not just the women, it's, um, you know, young men as well. There's so much disillusionment. There's so little opportunity. There's been very little investment in the agricultural sector. So I think we're still also not really able to make up our mind about what kind of country we want to be. Like, are we going to be... an agrarian economy? Are we industrializing really fast? Are we moving towards technology? Like, you know, there's a little bit of something happening everywhere, but not enough anywhere. So um, I would say our rural youth is in trouble. It's not just the women. It's everybody. They're they're quite lost. Mm. And and would it be be correct to say that education 
might be uh, the tool, might be the oar to help them come to the forefront, uh, to stay afloat. I, I mean, I have a slightly unconventional view on this. I think education sure. is just a basic human right, right? So I don't necessarily sure. agree with, although I think, yes, you're right, of course, it will result in dividends. Uh, both personal and economic and therefore on the GDP, etc., etc. But I think education just should be treated as something that everybody has the right to because mm-hmm. I think with the world, so in Pakistan particularly, if you look, I mean, I'm just going to talk in the specific context that we're in right now, there's a huge focus and particularly pre-COVID, there was a lot of government attention and even post-COVID, I would say, because you're looking at digital payments and you know, how to reach out to this large population that now needs support and how do you get payments out to them and how do you get support out to them. So we're beginning to look at a lot of digital kind of mechanisms. But the reality is it's one thing to talk about digitizing a country. But when you look, because the groundwork has not been done right, our basic education is so messed up. So few of our people have proper access and then where they have access, the quality is so problematic that I think all of these things are linked. So if you look at like, you know, um, digital access figures, for example, only 39% of women in Pakistan have access to a cell phone. And this does not mean a smartphone. This just means like a Mm. basic phone they can make calls on. When you look at literacy figures, only 44% of women are educated. So it's kind of, when you look at that, I think it is strongly Mm. linked to rights. You know, I mean, if you don't have an understanding of the world uh, beyond, you cannot even communicate. You might have a cell phone, but you can't even text somebody. If you have a smartphone, you can't absorb the content. I think that's just criminal. And this is where education Mm. is so, so, so important. Um, I mean, you know, Pakistan is often portrayed as an extremely oppressive society for women, you know, uh, globally. And of course, it's not the easiest place in the world to be a woman. I mean, we rank uh, on the World Economic Forum gender indicator. We're like third last in the world. So nothing much to be proud of if you look at it. Oh, yeah. We're the third last in gender equality. And by the way, the first in discrimination against women as per the Georgetown Institute for Women, Peace and I think Security. So... I mean, we're not doing very well on the global rankings. We have the lowest Mm. female workforce participation in all of South Asia. So when you look at all of that, obviously, all of this connects very strongly with education because with education comes awareness and with awareness comes some degree of empowerment. Correct. But as you said, you know, now, yeah, yeah. But then as you said, it's all about basic human rights. Grassroots is the human rights and obviously then you give them the opportunity to educate themselves and then you, uh, you know, give them jobs or whatever. But it is. So why, why such a high rate of violation? Gosh, I mean, I really, really wish uh, I knew the answer. Some days I really struggle to understand what people could possibly what kind of pleasure or satisfaction or really what would you get? But then I suppose it's similar to other populations that have been kept subjugated or silenced, right? There is a mm. there's a power structure and there's an existing one where certain parties are very comfortable right now. And power never likes change of any kind, um, especially if it's been working for them for decades or centuries, if you will. Um, 
So honestly, what seems like a modern day nightmare for if you look at it, half the population of the country is obviously working for somebody because they wouldn't allow it to stay that way otherwise, you know, and yeah. um, I mean, we, just a small thing, you know, I mean, if you look at um, all of these programs that we're a part of, like all our massive sort of donors that invest in Pakistan, and everybody keeps talking about a very diverse, productive economy. How are you going to have a diverse, productive economy if 50% of your population has been left out of it? It's impossible. So Correct. Correct. I just think where we, where, where, where actually, I like to say this, we're a kind of a very con- con- confusing country, right? So on one hand, you'll yeah. see incredible work happening in pockets and, and definitely some of the stories in the book, like you won't believe this is from Pakistan. You'll be like, wow, such incredible work, such willpower. This is amazing. This is a model for the rest of the world. And then you'll see how we rank overall and you kind of feel really sad because there's all these opportunities. We don't give our girls a chance to dream, uh, to mm. live the lives the, the, on their own terms. So I think we're just, we're just kind of, we're just that sort of country. You know, you just look one way and it's amazing and you look the other way and you're horrified. Yeah, because I think we're really steeped way deep into uh, misconstrued cultural norms, distortions, negligence, um, and denial, like complete denial, right? I was I was talking to uh, this gentleman, um, he's an Islamic scholar, and he was saying that the religion empowers you to such a degree that you, a woman, is not meant to be emotionally and financially dependent on anybody. Yeah. See, that's the other thing, right? I mean, you would think being a very loud and proud Muslim nation, you know, I mean, you ask people in Pakistan who they are, they'll tell you they're Muslim first and anything else later. Like even Pakistani, they'll say second. Absolutely. But despite yeah. that, this wonderful aspect of our religion, you will not see in practice. Because I think mm-hmm. when it comes to actually practicing what we are so you know, proud of in the vernacular. claiming, yeah. We we don't do a good job of that. We pick and choose what we want to do. So we'll find some obscure verse that will, you know, without any context, we'll absolutely go and apply that and say that women are less than men or women need to obey men, for example. That's a favorite one of everybody's. And then we have clerics who are obviously often misinformed and ill-educated themselves. Many of them are not even literate, so they've wrote-learned material that's been given to them without there's no sort of even there are no checks and balances in the sector so nobody's checking what anybody's saying you can stand on a podium and say anything and you're talking to a population which will not verify or triangulate that data i think it's kind of also rooted in culture because we are still we're still so we're a very young country but we are an ancient culture And Mm. in that culture, there has always been, and I would not conflate this with religion, because I think that's the other problem with Pakistanis. We don't know where our religion ends and our cultural norms begin, or our societal norms begin. And quite often, we're so confused about where where it's Islam or where it's, I don't know, just the tribal traditions that have been handed down in your family, that they've all become one. And that messed up amalgamation is our version of Islam as we like to practice it. 
uh, we don't even like to be corrected that's the other thing so you can have a scholar <laughs> who will come and tell you okay this is exactly how it's written in the quran here's five people in egypt who've done research on it here's a book and we will just be offended instead of willing to listen because we don't have and i think this also stems from again it comes back to education and how we are taught right and this mm. stems back to a long history in our culture where the master or the teacher or the professor is the font of knowledge and you must just say yes sir and accept that knowledge yeah. and not question it it's even in schools today if you have a child who's constantly asking why and what they are discouraged and i'm talking about mm. elite schools i don't just mean Correct. you know some some school in the village uh, which is not being monitored i mean mainstream elite schools with educated parents with resources even in those schools children are told to sit and shut up and just do what the teacher says and until mm. we shift that culture where people are allowed to question to think you know i mean i think we don't allow people to think you're just supposed to accept knowledge don't question its source i'm the master i know i'm the expert the end um dialogue is such a problem and i think that is what really needs to change if we want to have any kind of social revolution or economic revolution or digital revolution all of this is linked mm. so just sort of tying in everything together and coming towards the end of the podcast so the book is there which is called fearless so certainly our history is proof that with determination and a sense of fearlessness the woman the girl child can rise and um uh and then prove that she has the grit she has the determination she has the will and on the other hand over the years as you're saying we're steeped into an ancient culture and we are in complete denial and we have absolutely no sense of dialogue yeah yeah so moving forward we have to you know how they say that charity begins at home which also means that the change in our personal dialogue on an individual basis on each familial you know each household basis has to change absolutely um i think and i'm a strong proponent of people looking within when they start you know any kind of conversation it's often easy to critique systems right so but we forget that we're all part of this system and we contribute to it we either mm. i mean we contribute to it and i think many of us are not honest about how we also benefit from the current system right so when you're part of a feminist movement and i think people don't like to hear this but this means that you need to be looking at rights you need to be looking at class issues you need to be looking at cultural divide you can't just decide that i am a woman um so obviously somebody like myself who's had education who's had love who's had respect who's been recognized who's allowed to do the work that i am allowed to do i've never been i've never been questioned for it right but i could very sure. well belong to a household where i would have to fight for the right to do everything that i do and this mm. is a privilege that i don't take lightly but many of us do and i think you know we're all part of repressive systems whether they're labor rights that we like to ignore when we're shopping from brands who cares if xyz factory has actually paid on time as long as i can get my cheap lawn jora these are all connected you know i mean whether it's simple yeah. things like rights of animals it's like you know i don't care if animals are being tortured 
and killed and poisoned on my street as long as I can walk with my pedigree dog safely. So I think until we change those attitudes and those are absolutely you can this is something you can work on at an individual level as you pointed out so rightly at the household level with your friends with your family and again it connects to that whole idea of a society that is beginning to think that is beginning to assess its own kind of morality and behavior and if we really want to improve it's easy to sit and critique you know something which is an amorphous vague mass like the government or the world or institutions what do we actually mean by that and every time i critique an institution or a person in government i try to think about how are my actions actually contributing to the problem and i think that kind of introspection right. is super important right exactly how are my actions benefiting or actually putting the situation in danger and that is not only something and i hope the listeners who are listening is not only for women to listen to or hear it's also for men it's more so for men because again just like you know um and i think if we can talk about because people in pakistan particularly love to hear anything rooted in religion so our religion tells us to be kind and to be thoughtful and to be considerate and to be mindful of how we you know um how we move in life and how we use products and how we go about on earth so men who have power and privilege so it's about if you see somebody mistreating even i don't know their domestic health or somebody who's not yeah. paying a fair wage or are you a person who's not paying a fair wage like obviously start there um you eat well you live in a house that's air conditioned 24/7 but do people who work for you enjoy privileges have they had security during the covid period if you have had security and you have been well fed and taken care of is this not then your social and personal and moral and i will go so far as to say religious responsibility to ensure that others within your sphere of influence are not suffering i mean these are teachings that we've heard our grandmothers we've heard religious teachers everybody says this stuff but i think many of us don't realize how actionable it is and men when it comes to women men have choices you have choices as brothers as fathers as friends as co-workers are you being paid more for the same role um yeah are you going to speak on a panel where there's just men i mean every day you make teeny tiny choices right so mm-hmm. you can be a man in the corporate sector who decides i will no longer speak on any panel that invites only men and it's Correct. a strong statement yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 every day as you're saying making those decisions of ensuring inclusivity and whether it's on um personal relationship basis or whether it's on a um colleague basis or corporate base or whatever wow wow amini it's uh, it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you and yes the situation is dark and bleak but the kind of work that you are doing um and the kind of book that you have just come out with congratulations and i hope that we can see um success we can succeed success because the future generation really depends on the woman oh and absolutely and i think this is why i believe so strongly in the importance of role models because young children can usually only project themselves in existing role models so if you can't be it if you can't see it 
and you hear this message i think it's been it's a really interesting time for me to be saying this because you hear this message throughout the black lives matters movement where people are talking about you know visibility they're talking about representation they're talking about supporting uh you know uh, businesses led by black people so if you apply the same lens to women or to really any mm. minority or sector you will be amazed when you find that you know there's so much that we've overlooked yeah and if you sort of shift the lens there is so much that the world has to offer if only you would look properly and non-judgmentally and and you know how it is like cultural thing if if the woman raises her voice it's thought of as something completely out of line of course she's aggressive and, and you downgrade it absolutely so men are strong and women are aggressive right when they raise their voices that's classically the difference uh, i mm. mean if you think of the term strident there's certain terms which even though you don't want to so when you think of the term strident immediately you think of a woman first you never think of a strident man i've met plenty of strident men but even in my mind the, the the images of a woman because those are the terms we we reserve for women mm mm so much work to do so much work in our work to do to change those perceptions to change those lenses and then to as as you said base everything on our intention and then step out with a completely clean slate and you know these conversations like podcasts like yours which reach to broad audiences are a big part of that change because you have to have you have to first be open to dialogue and to be to looking at the issues before you So that's a really, really important part. Brilliant, Amne. Thank you for being part of this brilliant picture, and uh, uh, good luck to you uh, for for all the good work that you're doing. May May God bless you for all your efforts, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening and we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment, a rating or a suggestion. Thank you.